Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Thanks so much for joining us for episode 68 here with Molly Fletcher. If you are a sports fan, you're going to especially like this one. And even if you're not a sports fan, I think you're going to dig some of her takeaways that absolutely apply to all corporate athletes. And so we are chatting with a rock star sports agent who has a lot of cool tips and tricks and wisdom that she's gleaned along the way by observing what's going on with superstar athletes and the superstar business folk who are, are working around them. So you're going to learn one, two key practices Molly sees in all of her star athletes that make them great. Two, the critical trait needed to maintain strong workplace relationships. And three, a simple trick to use in negotiations to make them less nerve-wracking and more successful. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to stuff we chat about here, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F68. However, if you'd prefer to just get those takeaways all the faster in an email you can read in under two minutes, go ahead and sign up for the Gold Nugget email list over there at awesomeatyourjob.com. You'll get to hear from these tidbit takeaways from Molly, the 67 guests that have come before her, and the guests to follow her. So come on over. Here's a scoop about Molly. Dubbed by CNN as the female Jerry Maguire, Fletcher rose to the top of a male-dominated field to become a leading, as in $500 million of lifetime contracts worth leading, sports agent with unique access to hundreds of successful athletes, coaches, and broadcasters across the sports of baseball, basketball, football, and more. Whether at the contract negotiating table with a team's top brass or behind the scenes with her players, Fletcher is keenly positioned to spot patterns in peak performers. She's the author of three books, founder of the Betterment Institute, and a sought-after speaker. Here's Molly. Molly, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks so much. It's awesome to be with you guys as well. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure you have a lot of cool experiences working with a lot of famous people. And it's it's so funny slash sad. My sports knowledge is very limited. <laughs> so while the listeners are going to be like, whoa, that's so cool. You interacted with that athlete. I might not know who that is, but, you know, <laughs> I serve the listener. So I'd love to hear a fun story about maybe... In your book, you know, The Business of Being the Best, you've kind of done a, a fun job of zeroing in and identifying some kind of patterns associated with uh, high performance and top achievers. Could you maybe warm us up by sharing a story of how you, you saw or discovered one of those mm-hmm. patterns like live in front of you as things were unfolding? Yeah, no, that's an awesome question, Pete. I mean, it was cool, right? Because for almost 20 years, I, I represented these guys and helped maximize that window of time they had as a professional coach or athlete or whatever it might be. But I also had the opportunity to be around the best of the best as far as their ability to execute inside of pressure, their ability to recover from adversity. So even though I was recruiting them and, and managing their careers, I was also kind of a sponge watching peak performers execute at, at a really high level in a really unique and special space that few sort of find themselves in. But, you know, I mean, a couple of cool stories, right? I mean, Tom Izzo, who, you know, is the head coach at Michigan State, who is a absolutely awesome guy and exactly, you know, who you see on TV and it is the same guy at his dining room table or at his lake house in, in northern Michigan. I mean, he's just a great, great human being. But one of the things that struck me about Tom is, you know, he wins the national championship 
one year in 2000, I believe. And, and the next morning, he literally was on the phone with an 18-year-old kid the next day, mm. begging that kid to come play basketball for him, right? He was recruiting the next morning. And that's what the best do, right? I mean, they're, they're happy in those moments. He was very excited for what they accomplished. And obviously, that is a really special thing to win a championship. But, but what he knew was that the next season really started right now. And on so many levels, Tom does that, A, because he's never content and always striving for better. But he also sent a really powerful message to that kid and that family in that moment, right? Like, hey, look, you saw me eight hours ago hold a trophy over my head and cut a net down. But now I'm, I'm talking to you, hoping you'll come play basketball for us. You know, he sent a message to his coaches, his, his players, the, the parents of that child, his staff saying, look, we had a heck of a season, but we got a lot that we can still go do. Oh, that's cool. Guys like that. I mean, Doc Rivers, right, is special basketball coach, a great guy. Doc ends most of his meetings with his guys, and he says, what can I do for you? What do you need from me? So he'll talk to a player about something that he expects from the player, for example, or a coach or anybody on his staff, and then he'll end every meeting with, what can I do to support you in that? And what he does when he does that is he sends a message, right? Like, look, anything I can do, speak now and let me know. And I'm here to support you or address that question. But at the end of the day, right, it's, it's time to go get it done. And so he sort of creates a platform of sort of a no excuse mindset inside mm. of that question also. So that's what I spend my time doing and running around the country now speaking and telling stories. I've got a database of hundreds of stories and experiences like this that, that transfer so well to young people, to business people to really to anybody that wants to get better and from a human performance perspective. Oh, that's so fun. That's cool. Thank you. And and that's kind of reminding me, it seems like jumping right from one victory to, all right, let's get to work and, and sort of think about what comes next sounds in some ways kind of extra powerful in the sense that you're right, that does send a message. Like just yesterday, you saw this. It's kind of like, a, in a way, a prime time to make recruiting phone calls is the day after and to take advantage. But I also wanted to hear, you said the word recovery. And I've been kind of reading more and more, whether it's out of the Human Performance Institute or elsewhere, about how that is kind of one theme or pattern is that high performers do a great job, not just going from thing to thing and working and working, but rather recovering kind of quickly and well in between periods of intensity. No, they do. You're absolutely right. I mean, Butch Harmon told me once that one of the things he sees in the best golfers in the world is, is their ability to recover quickly. And John Smoltz, a player that I worked with for a long time, I mean, he would walk a guy rarely, but when he did, he would sit the next guy down. And the coaches out there that lose a game, they're going to do the things they need to do to prepare and recover and get back. And I think, again, right, it's the same thing for all of us in the business world, which is we're going to have tough meetings and, and tough phone calls, and we're going to lose business sometimes, and we're going to have a tough conversation. But the best of the best find a way to recover quickly. They find a way to send themselves the right messages. I, I have a friend who has a smile file, she calls oh. it. And she literally Cute. has this file, yeah. And it's just really good emails that she's gotten, really great notes, really great feedback, client testimonials, just good stuff that she can peek at if something maybe doesn't go her way from a business standpoint and kind of remind herself, look, I'm good at what I do, you know, and I belong here and, and I can execute at this level. And, and I think we all at some level, we're human and we're going to have challenges and we're going to go through those things. And the trick to the best, in my opinion, is their ability to, to recover fast. Oh, I love that. The, the phrase smile file in and of itself, it kind of reminds <laughs> me of the humor first aid kit we heard from Michael Kerr 
earlier episode. Cool. 23-ish. But um, hey, there's a sports number that matters, huh? 23. I'm with there it. Go, I'm with yeah. it. I'm with you it. You are. You're <laughs> so that's one trick is, is having a smile file. Any other kind of observations you've made in terms of like how they went about that recovery? One of the things we did for Smoltz once when he was struggling was we put a video together some of his best pitches and, you know, the crowd going crazy and players walking back to the dugout, you know, throwing their hard hats at, you know, the wall and things that, you know, and, and one just unbelievable pitch after another. And it reminded John visually why he does what he does. I think the other thing, and I'm a huge fan of Jim Lair and, and you mentioned the Human Performance Institute and all their content is, in my opinion, just fantastic. And they go back to their purpose and they go back to why they do what they do. And I think whenever we find ourselves in tough spots, when we circle back to our mission statement or our purpose or our why, it relocks us in. For me personally, I'll share, I mean, my mission statement is to inspire, lead, and connect with creative courage, sincerity, and optimism. Mm -hmm. And so if I find myself in a moment where I have three children and a wonderful husband, but you got a lot going on, right? And, And there are moments when you get stressed out or things don't go right or whatever it might be. And, and I say that to myself and it really re-centers me and relocks me into maybe a better way to engage in a conversation or a better way to engage in a moment that will lead, inspire, and connect with sincerity and creative courage and optimism. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Inspiring. So tell me, you've made many discoveries when it comes to these high performers, top achievers. I'd love to maybe have you do some of the work for me in terms of curating that a bit. And So tell me, what are a couple of those discoveries that you think are particularly applicable and powerful for you know the young professional who's working in an established company? I think that they, number one, I mean, I think they stay curious. You know, the best athletes in the world, they, they know who they are and they know what they're good at and they know what they do and they know why they do it. But they're not afraid to stay curious on ways that they can evolve and get better. And they have to because they live in an environment where there's a AAA, AA guy ready to take your job all day, all night, right? There's not that many NBA head coaching jobs. You got a bench full of assistants all over the country that are ready to take your job. So if they don't evolve, if they don't challenge themselves to get better, so what does that look like? I think that's somebody that's a lifelong learner. I think it's somebody that's always curious and trying to grow and evolve and learn and consume new content that will help them get even better. So to me, that's something that I see the best do. They also, in addition to being curious, I think they're incredibly intentional about the way that they approach their days and their weeks and their months, but particularly their days, you know, and and you listen to the best and they'll say, oftentimes in life, right, the things that change us are moments. They're just moments. They're a little moment that has a really big outcome. And so they recognize that. They recognize the power in moments and the impact that those moments can have. So they're very intentional oftentimes about the way that they start their day. I think I heard a stat the other day that like 80% of high performers meditate. 80% Mm -hmm. of high performers are really clear on their mission and their purpose. So I think those at a really high level, tactically is some of the behaviors that I've seen. Oh, that is really good stuff. And I'd love if, if, is there a particular report where I can read more about that? I don't have a particular report. I mean, the truth is it's a collage of 20 years of being around these guys and it's, I'm a total self-help geek, always just sucking and consuming anything that I can find that will help me get a little bit better. And I've got favorite, like John Gordon's great from a team perspective and Patrick Lencioni's got great stuff from a culture perspective. And, 
Tim Ferriss has some great content around time management and execution and really good stuff. And so Brene Brown, really cool on vulnerability and innovation. So I lean on all these kind of great people and, and I collaborate with them too professionally. And then I also lean on their content personally so that I can continue to evolve and get better as well. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Well, and I'd also love to get your, your take on some of the particular skills that you zero in on in your book, The Business of Being the Best, are around a smart negotiation, likability, and personal branding. Could we spend a couple minutes talking about each of those three things? Absolutely. You may have to remind me of them along the way, but oh, I'll sure. start with negotiation. You know, So I wrote a book about that, actually, A Winner's Guide to Negotiation, and that book came out a couple years ago. What I really walked through in that book, and and a little bit I touched on in the business of being the best, I found that most great books come out of a chapter from a previous book, and and that's kind of what happened here. Mm. But I talked a little bit about setting the stage, right? So I think when we negotiate, we've got to do a really, really good job of setting the stage, which to me includes things like being really aware of what is the other side worried about, what are their options, what are they excited about, all that kind of stuff I think is incredibly important. And sort of understanding their world and sitting in their world. So I think setting the stage is important. And then I think, you know, we've got to have the courage when we do that and hopefully do that well to ask for what we want. I think if we set the stage really well, then we can ask for what we want. And then when we ask, we've got to have the courage to pause too, right? A lot of times, you know, one of the things that I saw so many people do that I would negotiate with, they would spend a lot of time sort of asking for what they want, but then they would continue to sort of go on and on and on after they've made the ask. You know what I mean? Like, so they'd mm-hmm. ask, you know, like, I think that he's worth 12 million. And because Ma, when you think about it, I mean, you know, his, his numbers don't stack up to, and they would just keep going. And I think if you've set the stage, then you can ask and just, it's like when you go work out with a medicine ball, right. And you throw that little eight, 10 pound medicine ball over to your partner doing abs with you, you know, you just lob it over and you, and they got to deal with it and they got to own mm-hmm. it and they got to do it. And I think it's sort of like that in negotiation. You know, you've, you've got to lob that question over and then just let them sit with it. Let them hold it. Make them own it. And by not talking, you send a message that you're fairly firm, but hopefully you're doing it in a way that allows the conversation to continue. But maybe the pause lasts two minutes. Maybe it lasts a week. Maybe it lasts a month. Maybe it lasts five minutes. I mean, who knows? But I think pausing is important. And then I think also clearly in negotiation, you got to know when to be able to walk away. And I certainly sat inside of all those moments negotiating almost $500 million in deals for my guys. And I found that that was the pattern that I found worked well. And I believe that negotiation is a conversation and it ebbs and flows. And, you know, it's like waves on the beach, right? I mean, it comes in and comes out and comes in and comes out. And I think really being good at negotiation means having the courage to continue the conversation having the courage to sit on the same side of the table, not the other side of the table. Because when you sit on the same side of the table with the people that you're negotiating with, that creates a platform that's a little healthier. Oh, so you mean literally the position in which you're sitting at the physical wooden table? If I walked into a room and I had a choice when Mm -hmm. I was negotiating with somebody, I would always sit on the same side. All right. Cool. Not the other side. And, and I just think it just sends a message, right, that we're in this together and we're trying to come to a solution together. Gotcha. So that was negotiation. What else we got? Oh, yes. Well, I really got a kick out of what you're saying there with regard to kind of having the courage and, and sitting with it. In episode 43, Renee Grant-Williams was saying that silence is so powerful, particularly in negotiations, and that Americans tend to not be as good at that as folks in other countries like Asia. 
Have you noticed this? Well, I do think I have found that chapter, The Power of the Pause is the chapter in the negotiation book. I have found that to be the one that the media grab the most, people seem to grab the most. And I think it is incredibly powerful to think about having the courage to pause. And I think we can transcend that out throughout all of our lives, right? I mean, Mm. there's moments when we all find ourselves in moments, whether you're in your car, right, or your kids or your on a call with a client or an employee, whatever it is, where we can just stop and pause. And it's really powerful when you do that, because usually when you don't pause, you maybe don't get the action that you want, the reaction that you want. But when you pause, I think, I think you actually can get more intentional and potentially get the actual result that you're trying to have, right? Cool. Well, now let's, let's hear a little bit about uh, likability. What are some of your kind of key messages there? My philosophy when I was looking for a job, right? So I was 22 years old. I moved down to Atlanta to find a job in sports marketing, which was hilarious, right? I had 2000 bucks and no job, moved to Atlanta to try to find a job in sports, which people thought, well, that ought to be kind of interesting. You know, I wonder how, you know, my parents, you know, sort of said when I backed out of the driveway in Michigan where I grew up, well, you know, this isn't going to last very long, right? Mm -hmm. Honey, don't shed a tear. (laughs) And, um, I had this philosophy at 22 or 23, how do I get someone to to like and respect me enough to help me or hire me? And that was my goal inside of every meeting and every conversation was how do I get them to like and respect me enough to either hire me or help me? And so I think that even I saw this with my athletes, right? They want it. You can be great at what you do, but particularly in the agent space, it was also important that the player or the coach or the broadcast, whatever, they wanted to go get a beer with you after a tough game, you know, right. or they wanted to call you if they were going through something with their wife or their spouse, or they need to like you. And I do a ton of speaking and I talk to people in business development a lot. And I talk about the importance of recognizing that that matters. Now, there's a lot of other things that matter too, but their ability to actually like you, in my opinion, is imperative. But I think you've also got to be yourself, right? So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't advocate doing whatever you can do to be likable, whether it it being some kind of a chameleon. I believe in sincerity and authenticity all day long. But I think if you can do that authentically and in turn be likable, that's kind of a powerful combination. Absolutely. So I'm right with you that it's important. And you said part of the game is really just establishing that sort of intentionality up front. Like, Mm -hmm. all right, this Mm -hmm. is the goal. And so you're you're being yourself, but you're deliberately choosing to be a optimal, I guess, version of yourself within that Mm -hmm. encounter. Could you maybe zoom in on that a a bit? And and, oh, hey, (laughs) I think it's fun. I welcome animals from time to time. A little bark enhances the experience or a baby, you know, just a little little touch of humanity. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Although I loved it when they were there, but now I got 13 and 12 year olds. It's awesome. But go ahead. I apologize. All right. So we're talking about zooming in on intentionally being a likable version of yourself. Like what are some of the practices or behaviors that you either really tried to cultivate or you saw kind of creeping up within yourself? It's like, oh, no, no, trying to tamp that down. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of to touch on some of the Human Performance Institute work, you know, I went there and that was where I really got clear on my 90 day mission or on my mission statement on my purpose. That was really where I came up with that line that I shared with you earlier. And that is 1000% my mission and my purpose. But then what we did as part of the work there was we sort of identified a 90-day mission and we sort of said, what do we want to get better at? I think that we all have categories in our life that we want to get better at. And whatever that is, 
we've got to focus on it and we've got to focus on it for a little while, right? You can't do it for 10 days or 15 days. You got to do it for 90 days, I think. And, and then you can kind of build this new super highway path in your brain for this new behavior. I'm a big fan of that intentionality around a behavior that you want to change. And then you can begin to change it to make yourself more productive, more fulfilled, or really just the best version of yourself which obviously is fulfilling for you, but also for the people in your life that you hopefully love the most. Mm, Amen. I'm on board. And so what are some of those likability behaviors or anti-likability behaviors? I think it's things like sincerity, authenticity. I think it's consistency. I think it's about anticipating well. You know, when I think about the reason that I was able to build a, a wonderful practice as an agent is my guys knew that, that I cared about them, whether they were playing well or not, whether they were active or retired, whether they were injured or healthy. They knew that I cared about them. And so I think sincerity is imperative mm-hmm. and authenticity is imperative. But I think you've got to be consistent, right? I mean, I think, unfortunately, the world is filled with a lot of empty promises. And I think it's important to, to have the courage to mean what you say and say what you mean and then do it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sort of a Midwestern person who grew up in a home where it's like if my mom said, look, if you say you're going to do it, you're going to do it, right? Like when I was a kid, I had to take piano lessons and I hated it. I mean, I'm not ADD. I've been tested, but trust me, I'm probably pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't stand sitting at that piano and playing. I mean, but it was like we committed to X number of weeks and you're going to sit there and you're going to do this. And so that was my my mindset. So I think when you say you're going to do something, you've got to do it. And I think that in turn drives likability, right? Right. People like people that follow through on their promises. People like people that are consistent. People like people that are sincere. But I think people also like people that are authentic and real and exactly who they are. I, I probably have at times alienated people in my life because I'm a little bit direct. <laughs> but I think that what I found as an agent is that worked for me because my guys had nobody in their life that would tell them the truth. Yeah. Everybody around them, even some of their wives, or spouses would tell them what they wanted to hear. And I didn't need any one guy to turn the lights on in the office. So I was, and I believed about my role in their life was, yes, I wanted them to like and respect me, but I also wanted them to capitalize on this very short, really what is often a short window of time. And I needed to tell them the truth as part of that. And those also sometimes entailed difficult conversations, but when you have a difficult conversation, usually the end result of that is a more powerful relationship, a more authentic connection. Mm. Agreed. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh man, that reminds me, I had a good friend who said that many people really don't have anybody in their lives who will tell them the truth. And these are the people who end up embarrassing themselves on American Idol. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, writer, the bachelor, bachelorette. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I agree. I agree. We need it. Well, to to wrap this up, any quick thoughts on personal branding? Well, I mean, again, right. I think it's about, you know, when, when we would do endorsement deals with our athletes, it was always recognizing what was really who they are. Right. I mean, you weren't going to go get Chipper Jones a deal with Rolls Royce. I mean, he's, he's a Chevy guy all day long, right. You're not going to go get him a deal with seven jeans. You're going to get him a deal with Wrangler because that's who he is. So I think when you think about personal branding, it's thinking about who you really are and what you want to be attached to and who you want to be attached to. And that's the way I approached it as an agent, which I think in some ways is the way maybe we approach it in our own lives. But 
I think it's obviously one of the most important things that we can do in our lives. You know, we live in a world now where we all have our own more than ever before, our own personal brands and our own personal microphones. I mean, it's insane. You know, it's like I used to say to my athletes 20 years ago at the end of a game, a ball player would come in from the end of the game and then there would be microphones in their face and they would react to the game. Now that happens, but they also have this whole other microphone that they control, whether they're <laughs> sober or not or whatever it is. And so <laughs> the importance of handling that right and consistently and yourself to me is really important. I was a big advocate of my guys all doing their own stuff. You see some celebrities who have someone else controlling their social platforms, and I think that's pretty dangerous. And I think that the customers and the consumers are pretty savvy and, and they know. So from a personal branding standpoint, to sum it up, I would say authenticity is the key ingredient to it. That may bring short-term drought at some level, but I think long-term, that's the way you want to go, obviously. I hear you. Well, anything else you want to make sure that you put out there before we kind of shift gears and hear about your favorite things? No, nothing else. No, this is fun. That's it. All right. Cool. Well, could you start us off by sharing, do you have a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? I am a quote geek and I kind of, I'm always like sucking in different quotes and I jump on Pinterest and soak things up. I don't have any one that I like turn to all the time that, I mean, the truth is, and this sounds sort of weird, but right now, I mean, I'm doing some kind of cool 90 day mission work for myself. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about my own personal mission statement and to lead, inspire and connect with creative courage, you know, sincerity and optimism. And that right now is the, is the kind of quote unquote quote that I'm leaning on a lot and, and saying in my head a lot because I'm just trying to get better. But I'm a sponge for any kind of positive, cool quotes. And today I was at yoga and there was a quote about sincerity. And I actually just tweeted it that sincerity isn't something we have or don't have. It's something that we choose to practice. And so I just tweeted that five minutes before we got on this. So that one's on my mind right now. And I think it's pretty true. That's good. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or piece of research? I love all the point of views that Patrick Lencioni puts out, which is pretty cool stuff on culture and connection and human performance and, and really human connection. So all those kind of things. And I also consume a lot of the Human Performance Institute data around peak performance. So so those are not one particular body of research per se, but I would say those are some resources that I turn to quite a bit. Oh, excellent. And how about a favorite book? I guess I would go with like favorite authors, right? Which is, I talked about John Gordon, Patrick mm -hmm. Lencioni, Tim Ferriss's stuff. I love all Brene Brown's work. Chris Johnson is a buddy of mine that, that is, was my trainer when I was a student athlete at Michigan State. And he wrote a book called On Target Living. His is all about health and fitness, right? And so I really dig all his stuff because it just kind of helps keep you locked into healthy living. I would say those are the authors that I kind of, when I know one of their books is coming out, I'm, I'm kind of one of the first ones to get it and read it. So I love all their stuff. Oh, cool. And how about a favorite tool, whether it's a piece of hardware or software or gadget or something that you find yourself using and reaching for often? I probably would say my reader since I'm 44 and I got to grab that tool all the time so I can see. Oh, you mean the spectacles? <laughs> I was like, oh, like a Kindle? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm sort of kidding. But, you know, I mean, right. I mean, the obvious answers are my Apple computer and my iPad and my phone and all that kind of stuff. Those are the sort of tools that we all live by um, so much now, right? And I'm certainly in that category for sure. Okay. And how about a favorite habit, a, a personal practice of yours that's boosted your effectiveness? The five-minute journal. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Like morning pages? I don't know what morning pages is, but maybe it's the same kind of thing. It's, it's called the five-minute journal. It's actually what it's called. And, and it's a little thing. And you, you sort of 
It's a little journal deal, right? And you wake up in the morning and you sort of write three gratitudes, three things that you want to accomplish that day. And then you write sort of this proclamation, right? Like I am whatever it is. And then, and then at the end of the day, you sort of talk about what three things that could have made the day a little bit better or three things that made the day great. And there's a lot of research around the power of gratitude. And, and, and for me personally, I'm like a type A strive constantly wacko, right? So I don't stop and appreciate enough or just pause enough. So taking time for gratitude, and that's another guy I love, all his stuff is Sean Anchor. Mm-hmm. But that to me, I found to be really helpful for me, that five minute journal. And, um, you know, I've gotten one for all my employees. I've gotten one for just people I care about because I think it's just really powerful. And I think particularly for type A people, it can be really powerful who are probably the kind of people that listen to these podcasts. <laughs> so I'd recommend everybody get that. And so I start every day with, with kind of writing in that and it takes like a minute and a half. I mean, it's just so easy to do. You just do it while you're sipping on your coffee. Cool. And how about a favorite sort of a resonance nugget or tidbit or, or quote from you, like in your books or your speaking, where you say it and people are like, oh, yeah, and they retweet it or take notes. Are there a couple quotables coming from you, Molly? Yeah. So I'd tell anybody that's listening to the podcast, go to our Facebook page and we push out a ton of Monday motivations. And so there's some cool quotes there. But one that people really dig, I think, is when you ask for a job, you get advice. And when you ask for advice, you get a job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's true, right? I mean, I, and I think it's true in business, right? Sometimes in business, when we ask for the business, we get advice. And when we ask for advice, we get the business. Right. And so, you know, it kind of that goes back to that curiosity piece, right? And being curious. So people like that one a lot. And I think people find that to be something that, you know, is easy to sort of Redeliver maybe to to other people in their life and 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 help them and and that's what you strive to do right I mean is you share something that you hope somebody else will share that helps someone else and then you start to see a trickle down effect. I hear you, very cool. And yeah. speaking of Facebook pages, what would you say is the best way to find you if folks want to learn more and check out your stuff? Yeah, cool. So MollyFletcher dot com is our website and and everything you know there we get we push out some cool blogs. You can we have some free e learning courses that are on there that are awesome. All my books, you can sort of travel through there to get to all the, you know, major publishing or I'm sorry, you know, book sales outlets. But, you know, obviously Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those guys have all my books. And um, so that's the best place to start. And on there, you can link to the YouTube channels and the Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Oh, thank you. And as we part ways, do you have sort of a a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? (laughs) Well, I think that the biggest thing I'd say is stay curious and be a sponge and, and recognize that there's mentors everywhere around you in the work that you do. There's people above you, below you, beside you that you can learn from and, and stay curious and learn from them so that you can continue to evolve and grow and hopefully maybe serve them even better. Mm, That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, Molly, this has been a ton of fun and I wish you tons of luck and just thanks so much for taking the time to, to share the goods with our folks here. You got it. You got it. Thank you so much. Thanks for what you do. I particularly loved what you had to say about mentors everywhere, above you, below you, beside you. You can learn from everyone wherever they are. And sometimes it's really helpful if they're just a couple steps ahead of you or one step ahead of you in one dimension, as opposed to like 40 steps ahead of you. There's unique advantages to that kind of mentorship. So again, if you'd like to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to things mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash 68. And if you haven't already, I do recommend you push that subscribe button so you don't miss our next guest, Jay Heinrichs. Oh boy, he's so fun. We're going to talk about arguing, as in debate, 
rhetoric, logic, and what makes for a good argument and thought process, which will kind of help you with your own decision-making processes and communication with others. And if you found yourself in an uncomfortable spot or you screwed up, he's got some pro tips for you there. And even if you never screw up or rarely screw up, he's got great tips about communication. So you're going to want to check out him and I hope to catch you then. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 